Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. I have Maureen and Ruth with me today. Maureen, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I've had a good day. You'd be happy I was at the gym this morning. Well done, because I listened to that podcast that you sent me. I got to the start of it. And um, what was he talking about? Looking after yourself first so that you can give to others. Yeah. It, it was very good though wasn't that podcast or did you like it I was like hmm, she might gonna, like this a bit <laughs> I'm gonna voice note you about it afterwards there were certain parts I was like mm, I don't really like it and then other parts I was like yeah I know yeah sure Ruth how are you I'm good thank you yeah really good um I'm off to do the high rocks thing this weekend so which one Madrid because you know well because um from Devon everywhere is really hard to get to yeah and you know what? I agree with that yeah yeah and we were working out the cost and it was hardly any difference to go to Spain or London so we're going to Spain oh I absolutely love that do you know what I've noticed as well like whenever I think about I'm like I really wanted to go back to Cape Town next week but I can't because I have to be there here for the dentist on Monday and then the next Monday I've got a talk and then it's like it's not really long enough to go away anyway anyway then I was like oh maybe I'll just go somewhere closer or and then I was like it's just as expensive to go anywhere and not literally like it is li- a little bit more expensive to go to some places but if you go to London you will spend more money than like anywhere else in the world <laughs> just you just like land and then just hemorrhage money the whole time yeah then you're like you said you'd be anywhere Madrid even Madrid even Madrid yeah I'm really looking forward to it. I've never been either are you gonna have some Spanish tapas I mean maybe <laughs> I've got nothing planned um annoyingly my husband because my husband's doing it um with someone as well very um, reluctantly <laughs> really annoyed no but the annoying thing is that the start times have come through and he's like nine in the morning and I'm like half four in the same day in the afternoon. Oh. Yeah. It's not ideal. <sighs> I'd rather it was the other way around. Look at what I had for lunch. That looks nice. It was well nice. You um, can practice your Spanish route. Well, I, I know. This is going to be the real test, isn't it? Has my, what am I on now? Like 49 days streak on my Duolingo. Let's see if I can order what I want. I mean, like when I was going last year to Spain, I was quite good at pointing and <laughs> and communicating. So we'll see. I'll give it a go. Good. Um, Ruth, you need to, t- sorry, not Ruth, Maureen, you need to turn your microphone back up. Okay. Just a little bit, because you're, you're quite quiet. Um, oh, the other podcast I sent you, Maureen, that was good, wasn't it? That was very good, yeah. I listened to that when I was out for a walk. I was like, oh my God, I really like this. <laughs> yeah, so it was. it's about a book that is out tomorrow called Look Again. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Look Again, yeah. And it was, it, the general crux of it is about kind of, or my take home from what I've heard so far is about like habituation and that you become really used to either good things or bad things. And I, like this is kind of like a general observation. They're not the first people to make this observation, but if you move into like an incredible house initially you're like oh my god I love it here it's amazing and then after a couple of months you're like well yeah this is always like this it's just the norm 
And then the same things happen with bad things. Like if something smells really bad, but then you sit around in like a horrible room that smells like smoke after a while, you're like, well, I can't even smell it. And then someone else will walk in the room and be like, what the hell? It stinks in here. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. So you kind of like become habitualized. But now in that example, not really a big deal. But the same is true. And this kind of links to actually the part I was just listening to of the podcast you sent me, which is like we've normalized feeling tired, feeling stressed, feeling unwell. Like it's now normal to be like, oh, how are you? Oh, yeah, I'm really tired. Like we need to normalize going back to like, you know, I feel great. You should feel good most of the time. Like that's the aim, right? And then on the back of that, so I was thinking about this today, because we've had quite, um, or I think one of the most common problems we get is essentially, and this isn't like just our coaching, it's just general life. I don't feel like doing it. So how do I make myself do it? Like that's literally the overarching problem. So almost every problem you have in life, right? Like I don't feel like exercising. I don't feel like saving money. I don't feel like eating this healthy salad when there's chips instead that I could have. If you always let your feelings dictate your actions, you'll never get results in anything, right? Like I don't feel like studying. Okay, well then you're going to fail your exams. I don't feel like going to work. Okay, well then you're not going to have a job. So how do you overcome the fact that you don't feel like doing it? Now, one thing that we work on on Commit to Six is elevating your mood the majority of the time. So we're not going to say like, you will always feel good and feel motivated. It's not possible. But can you feel good and motivated more than what you do at the moment? Yes. And people are so black and white about that. They're like, I don't always feel motivated. Yeah, no, neither does anybody. Literally no one always feels motivated. But as an example, I would say that like myself, but also like, all of my clients are generally happier, healthier, and motivated more of the time than before. Like than before they started doing, say, commit to six or working with one of us one-to-one. And like, that's the goal. It's unrealistic to feel like you're gonna feel like that all the time, but if you can elevate that mood, that means that it's not as hard to do the things when you don't feel like doing them, but you still have to accept the fact that there will be days that you don't wanna do it. There might even be weeks where you don't really want to do it, but you still have to do like the promise that you've made yourself, which is that bottom end of your range targets. I heard a quote today and it was like, um, he said, when you're down, you need to keep your head up. But he said, it's really important that you know what you're keeping your head up for, that you have to have a vision and you have to be able to look forward and be like, okay, I might feel down right now, but I need to keep my head up so that I'm staying focused on that vision. And when you're up, you need to keep your head down and do the things and just keep ticking on. So he said, when you're down, keep your head up. And when you're up, keep your head down. And I just thought, ooh, I liked that. And what about the vision then? Is that like knowing your why? Yeah, knowing what you're, what, yeah, what are you trying to do? And I guess knowing your why, like knowing what is your mission, your purpose, like what are you trying to achieve? It, it can be like the long-term vision of your overarching kind of goal in life but that you know that you have something specific that you are working towards and it's like okay I might be feeling a bit shit right now but this is on my mind this is what I'm trying to work towards and I just kind of have to keep my head up and keep focusing on that just to be pedantic right not like me no what if you don't have a strong why or what if you're not connected that or do you think that everybody does they're just not aware of it yet and if you like kind of take some time to actually think about what it is that you want why you want your results that you will find a reason the reason 
Yeah, I don't think everybody is going to know at a specific time. I think there's definitely stages of growth where you're kind of still, you know, that you're kind of working towards something, but you're not really sure yet what it is. And I think it definitely comes down to a sense of self-awareness around um, understanding yourself and understanding what you actually want in life. Um, that you can then start to become a bit more connected with that. But I don't think, I think it's unrealistic to say that everybody should know what their why is all of the time because it could change. You learn, you try things, you figure out what you actually want out of life. I think as we get older, you definitely get a sense of, um, I don't give a shit. I'm going to do what I want. I know people say your 20s are the best years of your life. I definitely, I'm so much happier in my 30s, which, and now I'm getting to that stage where I'm like, do you know what? I'm just going to live the life that I want to live. But definitely, I think I wouldn't have had the same head on my shoulders as I have now, like 10 years ago. So, yeah. Did I make any sense? No. <laughs> not like me either. <laughs> the other day we were chatting about wishy-washy girls um, on here and a few people mentioned it in check-in. But I, you know, the things that they're talking about is I just want to feel better. I want to feel more confident and so on. And actually, I was thinking they're only wishy-washy because they haven't thought about how they'll know what that feels like when they're there. You know, what what that is. What does it mean to feel more like myself? How are you going to know that you're feeling more like yourself? And I think once you've thought about what that might mean, as maybe it's getting up more easily in the morning or finding that you've got a bit more of a spring in your step or your mood's um, better, so you're more motivated to do X, Y, and Z. I think once you've thought through what made it a bit more specific, you know, if you're going to go into the SMART goals, made it a bit more specific, and knowing when you've got there, then it's not wishy-washy at all. I think two things there. I don't think you ever get there. Like, there isn't, you know, if you're like, I want to feel more like myself, you're never going to get there. It's like, this is now you for you know you need to keep doing these things forever you always want to feel more like yourself you always want to have more energy you always want to do the things that are going to make you feel that way and then the other thing that that made me think about is coming back to like the habituation of some people and, and I'll give an example of myself because I've been in this situation where I was massively overtraining. like I was training twice a day I was pretty lean I was cycling into the gym then I was cycling to work and whatever and I I was fine. Like I didn't feel like I lacked energy because that was my normal energy level then. And my gym performance was actually fine. There was nothing wrong with it. You know, like I was still like doing relatively impressive things in the gym. But until I like, and it was external reasons that I had to stop doing that because work changed and I couldn't like train twice a day anymore. But, but as soon as I did that, I was like, oh my God, this is what having energy feels like, right? But when you've had low energy for such a long time, and I know that we work with a lot of perimenopausal women, they're like, well, this is my norm. Like I'm used to having this low energy. They kind of forgotten that, wow, when I do take a bit more time for myself, when I do actually get that night of really good sleep, when I do actually fuel myself well and I consistently do this stuff, my energy levels are completely different. Or like, even with mood, you're like, oh no, I think this is, I think I'm in a good mood. But then, and I remember this when I was, when I first went to therapy, like I used to just laugh hysterically at everything afterwards. I don't know what it was. I think it was maybe, I think I'd just learned after a very long time to be present. And I, you can't really laugh at stuff if you're not present. Like if I'm here thinking about, you know, all the other stuff that I have to do, even if one of you says something hilarious, like I'm not really in this conversation because my mind's somewhere else. 
so it's not really that funny whereas like when you're fully in the moment with something like you can laugh stuff is funny you actually feel that stuff and if you told me before that that like I wasn't being present or I wasn't enjoying life the way that I could I wouldn't have known because I've like habitualized to well this is my normal like this is how I always feel so sometimes I think yeah you, you don't quite know until you're at the point of like oh my god I feel so much better than when I started and I think that's often why people struggle to to make those goals because they're like I didn't even know that I needed that goal and we get so many clients like that like oh I started commit six I don't know wanting to lose fat and then they're like I didn't even realize that you know I, I could feel this good I could have this much energy I could show up in this way I could enjoy my life this much more and like we like from a marketing perspective like we pull people in with we're gonna help you lose fat but really the whole emphasis is like we want you to enjoy your life more that's what we want now for a lot of people that involves fat loss but like the fundamental things we want you to enjoy your life more and everything else becomes a lot easier when you do enjoy your life more but like life is short that that is what it's for when you think bigger picture like you're only here for however many years even if it's a hundred years right it's pretty it's like a blink you need to care like, like what Maureen was saying like care less about what other people think care less about their opinions the, the main thing should be like are you enjoying your life to the max are you doing the things that yeah are gonna make you proud of the way that you lived your life that you won't regret are you helping other people are you having a positive impact on people and and ironically like that's what's going to make you feel good as well like a fulfilling life is really full of giving to other people okay that's enough Aristotle for now um <clears throat> do we have any questions yeah we do can I just say I've just you remind me just of a check-in that I was reading just now and on her non-negotiable she had to keep telling people when they inspire her. And that isn't only lovely for the people that she's telling, and but it's also, it feels nice to know that you're making other people feel good as well. So it's kind of a full circle, isn't it? It's just a really nice feeling. And I love that that's her non-negotiable. She's I'm gonna keep doing this because it makes other people feel good, makes her feel good. And I just liked it. Yeah, sure. I absolutely love that. And do you know what reminded me of that the other day is Sarah from, is it Sarah no it's not Sarah oh great even more people are doing it but Sarah had um replied to a tweet she's on commit to six and she was like oh that day I met you and this was like 10 years ago right at some expo and I think I must have said I mean I don't even remember but I just said wow you've got really good arms and she was like that just gave me such a boost and like made me feel great about myself and you think it didn't even really cross I just thought it and said it you know it didn't even cross my mind but the reason that I don't always give compliments I think this is like quite universally true for everyone is sometimes it's like you feel is embarrassed but like embarrassed or like insecure about giving a compliment I know it's a weird thing to say but I was probably in my comfort zone you know at like an expo that I was at that I was you know that was probably on a high so I would find it easy to give other people compliments whereas if you're like feeling a bit shy it's hard to say like oh your arms look great in case they're like what are you talking about I mean you love arms don't you love all about the triceps aren't you yeah but I just think if you can give more compliments like give more genuine compliments yeah Yeah. agreed we've got a Maureen Maureen question to start um coping when forced to drop steps slash activity levels when you weren't even in a deficit beforehand Oh, I didn't know you were going to say what you'd written in your response. Um, 
it depends what what's I mean it doesn't say what has made them drop activity is it is it that they're poorly or that they're injured or that they're just busy I mean it's you can't you're expecting the same from yourself day in and day out it's probably going to be unrealistic so it, is it long term I just it's kind of getting a little bit more info there so to give context this person has just had an injury and um, can't play the sport that they normally play multiple times a week. Sport is a big part of their life, but they're also working on their relationship with food and getting a handle on eating regularly. So there's a lot of urgency to lose fat, but it's also not conducive to where they're at at the minute. Okay. I I mean, I, I can relate to the sudden drop in activity um when I was living away I was super active I came back and I carried on eating exactly the same amount but my activity levels naturally had dropped because I was just inside right a lot more because it's winter here um and I <laughs> I did gain weight so but you you don't you might find that if your activities drop down a bit anyway that you're naturally not going to be as hungry so it might be easier to stay in a deficit so I wouldn't panic essentially about trying to go out and get that that more more steps or more this or more that because actually often you'll find that with the activity hunger drops anyway and you can actually tune in make a plan you're less busy you can actually use this as an opportunity to use that time to think ahead and make a plan and make sure that you're not um not winging it mm -hmm. I would say um I think all I would add to that is that like I totally get this as well not so much from being injured but like when I stopped rowing and I was doing a hell of a lot of cardio per week and by the way it's nice to think that your um hunger would reduce as soon as your activity reduces but normally it stays elevated for at least a period of time afterwards which is what's quite difficult about this is that you're used to eating x amount and then when you suddenly stop doing as much exercise, it's not like your hunger regulation is amazing and it just suddenly flips to exactly what you need, which I think is sometimes the impression, maybe not necessarily given off by intuitive eating, but definitely taken in by people who read about intuitive eating is that like your body will just know what it needs. It, it doesn't like we're all probably driven to eat more than what we need because that was an evolutionary advantage. Right. So if you me or is that Emma? <laughs> Oh, I think it's Emma. I'm. Um, I thought it was me. Oh, if I thought. I think. Yeah. Oh, you had, but you were saying about intuitive eating. But I thought I oh. my signal had gone. Maureen thought hers. We just. No, I think it nothing. was mine because it just came up saying unstable. Am I back? Yeah, she's gone again. Oh, this is not great. Um, I mean, Maureen, do you, do you, did you want to say what you said in your check-in? Um, I didn't actually put Anthony in the check-in. I said that we would discuss it here. Am I back yet? Uh, yeah, you're back. Oh, that's not great. Where did I get to? Intuitive eating. You said that's the message that is given off by not intentionally, but maybe the intuitive eating. Yeah. Okay. So can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think people often intake the message that your body will just adapt to exactly what you need. And the likelihood is it won't. It like left your own devices. You will probably eat more calories than what you need. That's an evolutionary advantage. So given all of that um, and given the more the context that Maureen's just given is that she's working on her relationship with food, I would use the extra time to think about things like that. 
right? Like what what can you be doing to work on why you're overeating? What can you be doing in other aspects? Can you be doing more journaling? And I know that a lot of this stuff you probably don't want to do, but it is when you zoom out long term, it's like, right, okay, I would imagine, I don't know this person, but they've probably spent years and years and years yo-yo dieting, right? Or over-restricting and over-indulging. What if now you're like, this is it. Like I'm putting an end to this. I want to work on that relationship with food. Maureen can give you tangibly what's going to help you with that. Like here are some tasks to do. Here are some things to think about. Here's some further reading to do. Here's some questions to ask yourself to delve a little bit deeper into why it is that you're eating more than what you need at the moment. Um, And then accept that now might not be the right place, the right time to lose fat. Like if your energy expenditures dropped, if you're recovering from an injury, you probably don't want to be in a big deficit anyway. And if you're like, right, this is, this is the time I'm going to, once and for all kind of put an end to this yo-yo dieting cycle that I've been in what about actually working with yourself fueling yourself as opposed to always trying to diet and by the way the diet gets way easier when you like take a different approach mentally in that respect I think what's hard like what's hard for a lot of people especially when it comes to relationship with food like if somebody has been trying to lose fat for a long time there is this real urgent sense of I cannot stand where I am right now I can't face feeling like this every day I just want to get fat loss results because I think that's going to make me feel better but the reality is and and I think something that that I'm very hit hard about is like we could put you into a deficit and just say, oh, yeah, just eat this amount of calories and Bob's your uncle, you'll lose a bit of fat. But like it will come back and it will smack you in the face hard and you'll just be stuck in the same cycle. And like that's not what we're about here. So by actually taking the time to address the overeating, to address the regular routine of eating and to regulate your hunger and get to a place where you're not constantly feeling this drive to eat all the time then you will be in a much better place to actually go into a deficit and lose body fat. But until then, you're just going to drive yourself up the wall by feeling like forcing that you need to force the fat loss when it's not going to happen until you can get to the bottom of the overeating. Yeah, you're so right. I think most people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll lose fat and then I'll deal with my relationship with food. And it's like... I sorry, but it just doesn't happen that way. Like it happens the other way you deal with your relationship with food. And then it's a hell of a lot easier to lose fat after that. Just happens. Yeah. They go hand in hand, but you're in the exact right place with Maureen. So. All right. Next question. Next. What's the best way to eat before one un- plan the evening meal out when fat loss is the goal and you haven't had a chance to create a deficit earlier in the week is it better to focus on very high protein and keep meals light or eat normally to manage hunger levels so you're less inclined to eat as much at the meal thank you i think everyone looks at this in isolation way too much if this is once a month i don't it doesn't matter like it literally doesn't matter if this is happening every week okay, then do think about your week as a whole. If you know that every Friday you go out with your partner for a meal, that's great. We're not going to take that away from you. In fact, we encourage that. But do look at the other days and think, oh, could I eat a little bit less on these days so that I've got more to play with on on the Friday? But if you're like, I've not done that, okay, well, then this is a one-off that you've not done that because going forward, if you're going to do this frequently, you will think about your week as a whole. On the one-off occasion that you're like, oh, it's a it's a surprise, I didn't know. Don't overthink it. 
you know that's not going to happen every single week so I, I and and also remember as well if you want and we prefer that you think ahead as opposed to kind of like making back the calories but realistically your fat loss comes from an average of your calorie intake versus calorie outtake output over time right which means if you had a big meal last night you could eat a little bit less for the next couple of days and that would even out just the same as if you'd eaten a little bit of less for the few days beforehand and then had a a meal out right so what would what we don't want to happen is you have this this big meal out and then the next two days you try and eat 800 calories that never ends well but if you're like okay had a meal out wasn't expecting it when i don't know at least 500 calories over okay can i pull 100 or so calories back for the next couple of days and even things out a little bit easy i mean yeah, maybe I- not easy but simple <laughs> yeah I don't really have anything else to add I think you've kind of covered everything there but it's important as well to have that mindset of like it's not a case of oh just it's oh this is once every while sure doesn't matter I'll just go ham and and eat all before and behind me it's like still be sensible but not to not to um overthink it too much in the sense that you have to be like trying to manage everything if it's just once every now and again agreed I did actually have a check-in from someone recently asking if they should go crazy low and crazy crazy low knowing that it's going to be insanely high and I was like not crazy low maybe like you said a little bit um we don't want you getting into that cycle of saving all your calories feeling rubbish and then eating them all again in one go because it just doesn't isn't conducive long term okay shall I go to the next question It's it's a longer one um, it says a personal development slash business question. Do you have any advice for overcoming f- fear of success? It applies to my fat loss goal too, actually. I know I'm keeping myself safe from the unknown by self-sabotaging. It's almost like I know I have the potential to do these amazing dream things, but it's safer to half-ass all of the actions I know would get me there because it keeps me safe from going into a scary unknown world of success. I've kind of developed this identity of the almost girl. I'm the person who knows she could get there and so be and be so fantastic at things, but quits to stop it from happening. It's so frustrating. It's a lot, I think. I mean, one thing I would say, and this this is harsh, right? But you're not a victim to yourself. Like you're like, oh, I'm the person who then just like self-sabotages as if it's happening to you, you're not doing it. You know, like, oh, I almost get there and then like, I just, you know, self-sabotage and there's nothing I can do about it. You are in control of that. You don't have to do that. And sometimes it takes, and I say this from like my own experience, but like getting pissed off at your own bullshit to actually take action and do something. You know, like I'll be talking about doing something for ages and then like not really do it. And then I'm like, the the reason that I will action something is because I'm like, I am sick of myself talking about doing X and then not actually doing it. Like Maureen gets sick of herself talking about leaving Ireland and then never fucking doing it, right? Like, but it will come to that. It won't be somebody else being like, just do it, just do it, just do it. Like, it has to come from you being like, I'm sick of saying I'm always gonna, I don't know, start that side hustle or I always wanted to travel more and I never actually action it or I always wanted to blah, blah, blah. At some point you have to sit down and be like, am I not taking this action? Because I say that I want to travel more, but I actually don't which is fine, but stop saying that you do or stop, you know, like putting that pressure on yourself that you do and then not doing it. Or do you want to do it? And do you just need to be like, well, what's actually stopping me 
just book the flight, like rip the plaster off. And sometimes catastrophizing it, like working through it. If you're like, oh, there's this big, scary, blah, blah, blah to my success. Okay, well, what what is going to happen? What is it that, like, make it tangible what you're scared of, not just I'm scared if I succeed that it's a bit scary. It's like, well, okay, well, what part's going to be scary? You set a condition with yourself that you're not allowed to complain about it unless you unless you really try to do everything. I know it sounds silly, but sometimes you'll wheel. I'm not saying you'll for that lady, but like it's easy to kind of go, oh, I'm fed up about this and fed up about that. But if you even just say to yourself, I'm not going to complain about it unless I've taken action to change it. And then that is just a little thing. You know, I agree. And like when Emma was talking there, like I am allergic or I have a fear of being a victim or being somebody who people think, oh, she just has that victim mindset where she complains about something all the time and she does nothing about it. That's that's something like that I'm hyper aware of. But the in this case as well, it's like you can be a victim to it or you can acknowledge that, OK, I'm thinking this way for now, but like what am I going to do about it? Like, am I going to do anything about it? Or am I going to just let myself be the victim? And like Emma said, like you have a choice so you can choose. Okay, am I actually going to do something that's going to move me towards what I want? Or am I going to choose to stay stuck and not achieve what I want? And like, there's who is it that says feel the fear and do it anyway? It's like, it's totally normal to feel scared about something like we don't like uncertainty as humans like we like we like to know what's going on we like to feel like we have a sense of control but when something's different it feels out of our control or we don't know how to respond to it but if you can acknowledge that okay this is how I'm feeling and like Emma said catastrophize it just kind of speak about it but then say okay this is how I'm acting at the minute and it's keeping me in like self-preservation mode okay well what can you actually do that's going to get you moving towards what you actually want and again knowing that it's really down to you to actually kick yourself in the arse and be like, okay, I can either take action and fucking do it or sit here and complain and be the victim that I don't want to be. You, you know, in- to read the download now, Master of Change by Brad Stolberg. It is so good. It would just give you a big pet talk. It talks you through things. Even as Maureen was talking there, I'm like, you know, people are scared of change. But one of the, the, the points that he makes out is, the only thing that is for sure is that things will change. Like you think that you're avoiding change by like not taking action on things. Things will change anyway. You can't keep anything the same. Nothing is ever the same, right? Yesterday won't be the same as today, even though you might think, oh, I'm staying in the same place, blah, blah, blah. It's never the same. And actually like, again, back to what we were talking about with habituation. One of the things I spoke about in that book was about um, like how much more you'll enjoy something if, if you take a break from it or if you change your environment right and like how much more you notice things and and even like on a really small scale like everyone will notice this right when you go on holiday how many pictures do you take of stuff some of it's not even any nicer than like where you are right like I always forget that like I'll come back to Dundee and I'm like wow my sunrise is actually better than where I've just been you know like it, it's comparable to some of the sunrises I've seen on Table Mountain I don't take a picture of it in the same way. I mean, I actually do, but and like most people just like are like, oh yeah, but I see that every day. You know, it's not the same. Or like when I'm at, when I was in Cape Town, it's like you don't see like South Africans up. I mean, some of them maybe, but like you don't really see as many up there with like photos being like, oh, this is amazing. It's like it's all tourists because they're like, oh, I've never seen this or it's different. Whereas if you go away and you come back, 
like whenever I come back here I'm like wow it's amazing or if I, I go and stay with Maureen I'd be like oh look at this look at this look at this she's like yeah I know see it every day like it's not, it's not new you know it's just the same to me so you become quite habitualized to stuff I think change is such an important thing even if you then come back and then you appreciate what you've got more once you've been away from it but in that podcast something that he said was change will do you good and I felt I was out for a walk when I was listening to it and like I did feel personally attacked and I was thinking about you that's why I sent you it yeah and I was like oh god she sent a subliminal messaging here <laughs> but I was listening to it and I was full on walking around the roads wetting myself laughing because I was like thinking I know I like the travel is something that that I've spoken about but I just haven't done anything about it yet yet but when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, this relates to me and like saying that I want to go travel and I haven't done anything about it. And I was like getting excited and giddy in myself and I was starting to laugh listening to him. So I was like, I know this is what I need. And then he said, change will do you good. And I was like, if I, I was like, Emma sent me this for a reason to like, come on, get yourself up and out of that country. But yeah. change will do you good. Like, it's like if you are excited about something and you actually want to do something, it's like you just need to do the thing and stop thinking about it and stop worrying about it. It's like you just have to and do also, that like thing. The and whole, you're... you're not necessarily scared, you're excited. You know, like they can feel very similar yeah. and you can feel both at the same time, but like go with the excitement of it. And then the, the other thing, and this goes for you as well, but it, like they were talking about how change is important, but it doesn't need to be a massive change. You know, it could be like a pretty small change or you go you know on a weekend I'll like go and work at a different coffee shop but actually the environment feels different and I am more creative when they were talking about that like the environment makes you more creative I was like wow no I do notice that that when you're sat in the same place every day doing the same thing it's like it does become monotonous and it doesn't mean that you then need to go to Cape Town you could literally like for me sometimes I get enough change from just being like oh I'm gonna get a 20 minute bus to St Andrews and sit in a coffee shop there I'm like oh been on a little holiday now like oh it feels so different it, but it does it feels different enough to kind of like stimulate more creativity I, I mean she was chatting about there the fact that she's starting and stopping and the other harsh way of looking at it is if you keep starting the same thing again and keep giving up on the same thing again. Tell yourself that I'm not doing this anymore. If I'm starting it this time, this is my last chance. I'm, I'm going to do it and I'm going to go through with it or I'm not going to do this again because, you know, it's repeating that cycle and expecting to fail. If you go in and say, that's it, this is it, I'm doing it, that that little conversation with yourself can wonders. Mm. I've definitely done that before. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for committing to the outcome no like change change your route you know if you're like do you know what this time and this is what we I always give this pep talk at the start of commit six but this time you're committing to the outcome that's why it's called commit you know like that word for me is such like a trigger word in the best way it's like once you've committed to it it doesn't matter what bumps come along the way it doesn't matter that you know you ended up putting on a bit of weight because you got injured it doesn't matter that it took you twice as long as you expected it doesn't matter that whatever happens right you're committed to the outcome you're not committed to the process so you might change tact you might take a different process you might change your approach a little bit you might have a little bit of a pause because other stuff's going on in your life but you're committed to this time I'm not giving up I'm not gonna 
you know, look for the next thing I'm going to be committed to. I know that I want to lose whatever. I know that I want to get into a healthy BMI range. I'm not stopping until I get there. It doesn't matter if it takes longer. I think that is such a good mindset to have. But I think with this person, that sounds like they're purposely mm. you like finding a way not to reach the outcome that they want. Could or also they, be- they want, because it's like, do you really want it if you are genuinely finding a way not to reach it? Yeah, because sometimes people get close to their their target with, say, fat loss, and they stop there. And with that, I quite often think it's because you actually, you've kind of got there. You've just not realised you've got there, and you're actually happy where you are. Um, and or it seems so close that you're like, oh, I can put it off a little bit longer because it's not that far away. And I suppose the same could apply with this in the sense that she's almost there. So she's kind of happy being the almost, which isn't enough drive then to make it go to what she can actually manage. So, yeah. How yeah, sometimes it's that the goal is no longer exciting enough. Like, oh, I've got another kilogram to lose. Nah. But then it's also like, I think with the weight loss, especially it's that last kilogram is way harder to lose than your first kilogram. You know, especially if you're trying to get into like a relatively lean body, it's like, your hunger levels are going to push back harder. You're going to have to diet on lower calories. There's going to be, you know, it, it it's going to take longer as well because now you've got less fat to lose. The scales don't drop in the same way. So you're not getting the same like feedback than what you used to get. So that's often why people give up. And also the the pain of saying where you are isn't there anymore. So if you're, if you're one kilogram over your goal, it's not, you know, it's not really painful. If you're 10 kilograms over your goal, it might be, you might really not feel comfortable. You might not have energy levels. You might, you know, really dislike the way that you're looking and feeling at the time. So I can see like, there's all these reasons. I don't know exactly the context of this because if it's more like business related, I don't know if the same thing happens because I don't know any successful business owners that are like, I really want to get to, I don't know, let's say it's coaching like 10 clients. And then when there are eight, they haven't already moved the goalpost like every single coach that we work with is like oh yeah no I'd be really happy with 10 and then by the time they get to eight they're like oh I meant 20 you know like because they're they're always oh I actually realized that I thought that was going to be my capacity but it's not I can do more so they've already kind of moved on past the goal before they've even reached it so I don't know I don't know depends on the situation hopefully that was um not too much tough love but my point is like the reason that we ever give tough love is you are completely capable of more and we want to help you get there. And it's just such a shame for people to hold themselves back when it's not an ability thing. It's like, get get out of your own head and, and take some action. Mm-hmm. And what would a man do? They'd probably just take the action, right? Think less about it. <laughs> probably, well, it tends to be overthinking. Yeah. Right. Do you want the next question? Yes. Um, should you prioritize hunger cues over hitting your calorie slash macro targets? E.g., of course, there are days I hit my targets and some, maybe some more, but there are also days I've noticed I don't feel hungry, but I'm conflicted on whether I should eat the meal to make sure I hit targets or not. Which one is healthier, both physically and from a food relationship perspective? We've had this similar questions before, haven't we? So say that again. 
okay. So she wants to know whether she should prioritize listening to hunger or hitting her calorie and macro targets. So some days she's a little bit over and some days she's just not hungry, but she hasn't met all her targets and she's trying to decide whether she should eat um, anyway, even though she's not hungry. And she wants to know which is healthy, healthier, both physically and from a food relationship perspective. Okay. Um, like if it's happening once every now and again, like I wouldn't be letting it happen all the time. I'd be seeing, okay, well, why is this happening? Why am I, how am I setting myself up? Hunger as well, like it's okay. Some days you won't be hungry. Like hunger is never like linear. It's like some days you'll be hungrier than others. So you can fluctuate a small bit, but like your targets are there for a reason. Like you need to be hitting your protein target. We don't want you falling short of that. So it's kind of look at, okay, well, how can I set myself up to make better choices throughout the day so that I am reaching my targets and maintaining my hunger? But also we definitely don't want you to be um, listening to your hunger in the sense of some people can feel not hungry and then it can swing really hard after a few days if you're if you're kind of, saying oh well I haven't been hungry now for the last couple of days I'm just going to not eat much and then you're putting yourself in a massive deficit and next thing bang it all comes back like an absolute tsunami so we definitely need to keep some sort of like regularity what are you laughing oh, at? tsunami a tsunami yeah woo <laughs> not like you're a little wave it's a full-blown <laughs> yeah take down yeah you you are right I think people can feel like oh I kind of got away with that or I wasn't that hungry that day and then bam it comes with the with the big wave and also remember you still have to fuel yourself so yeah I, I do think that is the, that is kind of the negative of tracking not so bad when you're trying to be in a deficit and do you know what realistically you are a little bit um you are going to be a little bit hungry if you're trying to lose fat like that's pretty normal um but I can't remember my point now I mean like if you're not tracking like if you're not tracking you don't know where you are calorie wise but I still in mentally would keep a note of where I am protein wise to make sure that's not massively out just knowing what's in my meals if that makes sense um so if you're constantly only getting you're not eating enough and you're only getting 30 grams or 40 grams of protein a day then you're probably gonna start to notice that um, I would definitely be keeping an eye on my macros a bit and making sure I'm not going too low. But if you're not hungry, I wouldn't force food down um, once in a while. Yeah, no, I, I mean, wouldn't. I wouldn't, especially if fat loss is your goal, like forcing yourself to eat when you're not hungry is not a sensible thing. Tracking's not like entirely accurate anyway. Like, you know, there's a lot of guesswork. You might have had a few more calories than you perhaps realized or you know so it depends doesn't it if it's just now and again yeah and so many things impact hunger like are you anxious are you stressed how much coffee have you had like you know there's there could be loads and loads of things that are going on I also just think <sighs> too many people listen or try to listen too much to their hunger but then also too many people don't listen at all to their hunger so like it's like depends who you're talking to right but some people are like oh I'm hungry it must mean that my body needs more not true in the slightest there are loads of reasons that you're hungry now other times people just have I think what is useful is to try and distinguish is it physiological hunger is it 
you're looking for something because you're bored? Is it you're looking to numb emotion? Is it just be- because it's routine and actually what you do after dinner is sit down and when you sit down, you normally have a tub of Pringles with you. And it's like, actually, I'm, I don't even really need these. It's just like become quite habitual that I always do this. You know, trying to figure out why you're eating because it's not always, or I say for the quote unquote right reasons, Not it's not necessarily right or wrong, but you're not always doing it because you are physiologically hungry. A lot of other reasons that people tend to eat. And crave different foods as well. Yeah. Yeah, like, I know this is such a like, um, mum thing to say, but like, would you eat a piece of fruit? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, if you're really hungry. Have yeah, some people are like, oh, I'm so hungry. Do you know what I'm going to have? A big burger. And it's like, okay, well, if you were really, you know, but would you eat an apple? Like, no. Okay, then you're not hungry. And that's not to say never eat a burger or anything like that. But if you wouldn't have like a piece of fruit, then you, you're probably not that hungry. Or even compare it to a chocolate biscuit or something, you know, like that maybe isn't like a full-blown meal, but even then... If you're really yeah, hungry. Sorry. Do you want this full meal or <laughs> a bite of a banana? Or an apple. <laughs> and you're like, well, you're not hungry if you want the burger. <laughs> but it's not just, it's not like, do you want I, this? Of course people want it, but yeah. No, I'm, I mean, like, again, test it. Like, have an apple. If you're still hungry after the apple, then, but, you know, I love, I, well, I love snacking on fruit. So that would work yeah. for me. Like people say, do you ever see anyone over eating fruit? You haven't seen me eating fruit. <laughs> like just obsessed. Yeah, but I, so I do agree with that. Like I think for most people just being like, do you know what? Have unlimited fruit and veg. Most people won't overeat it. And the benefit in terms of the the freedom that you feel and the lack of restriction that you feel around your diet far outweighs what most people will consume in calories of fruit. Now, I do, I do understand that some people can overdo it. If you really want to, then you probably could eat too much fruit. But the, the likelihood is, if you add that with an element of common sense, right? Like, you know, here's eight pieces of fruit. You have you can eat them whenever you want throughout the day. If you're going to snack, snack on them. Most people won't even consume it all. But at least you're, you're not like, I can't eat anything. You're like, oh, yeah, no, if I want to snack on something, here's all this lovely fruit now it's your choice whether you do that or not it just from a psychological perspective massively helps when my um when the before the boys were born I remember saying to my husband like we'll always have a big bowl of fruit and they can just always help themselves to that it backfired massively because they just eat it all eat it all you buy some fruit and buy and I'm like how have you managed to eat all of that already and because they're just like and they devour it. And I was like, right, that backfired. I never thought I'd be wanting to restrict fruit, but it's only because I want to save some for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to hide away your, or just I get the crap stuff for them. You know, like the wonky apples and stuff that are like 90p from a bag. And then you can keep like a nice little envy apple in the back for you. I hide them on top of the fridge. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> mother used to go mad. She was like, I'm never buying grapes again. You're just in and out and in and out there I'm only home an hour yeah I'd be like just picking them out of the fridge oh yeah so nice I, I'm still like that like I could eat them on the car on the way home and be like oh I didn't eat, I didn't eat. 
feels like yeah, you know what's bad though like if you get like a little punnet of blueberries that's what like four quid and then you're just kind of distracted but eating you're like wow that was a very expensive snack <laughs> <laughs> yes fruit ends up oh it does end up being more expensive than some of the um is it they like i was looking at uh bourbons like 60p a packet and i'm like that's so cheap but and my husband was like it's because they're not they're, they're an essential item they're not taxed in the same way and i was like they're not a luxury biscuit they're a, an essential biscuit and I was like no way is that how they do it what so what are essential biscuits well bourbons and custard creams he said it's well and um, don't quote him because he might have been talking absolute bullshit but um he said that he thinks a luxury biscuit is what like, like goes into the ones that are covered in chocolate and things like that and then they are taxed but um no in the UK biscuits like bourbons custard greens maybe a Garibaldi or um, then what's a Garibaldi? A dead fly biscuit. Do you know they like? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 They're like what are those? Like they're just all under that like those supermarket own brand type biscuits. Yeah. Super cheap. You know what? You are right because all supermarkets have those, and I have noticed that, like, if you buy a digestive, like a packet, if you buy like the cheapest one in Tesco or something, it is like sixty p, isn't it? But then if you wanted to buy like a chocolate digestive, it is quite a lot more, like it's like double the price. And I was thinking, what, just for a tiny little bit of chocolate? So luxury. maybe that's why, maybe it's the tax because it's luxury. This is amazing. Happy. I have of this. I should probably fact check it, but- um, I know, I, we'll, we'll, be, <laughs> we'll get loads of messages after this. That's That's a lot. It seems like it'd be right, just like you said, because they are so cheap, cheaper than fruit, which is like sad. Yeah, okay. really. Let me just Google what biscuit tax. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that um, tea wasn't wasn't it tea that wasn't traditionally taxed in the UK as well. It's like biscuits, tea. No, okay, so that on cakes and biscuits is set to zero percent. However, crucially, the law states that if a biscuit is partly or wholly covered in chocolate then it has to be taxed under the standard rate see he, he was right how did he know that he's got weird weird knowledge there you go oh my god well I think it's often because you know people are always like is a Jaffa cake a cake or a biscuit and then people are like well it's taxed under blah blah blah, blah. but a Jaffa cake has chocolate on it yeah, is it a cake or a biscuit I mean, well it's no it's, your opinion know. What's your opinion? It's hard when it's old, doesn't it? So it'd be cake. If it goes soft when it's stale, it's a biscuit. That's what I'd go with. Oh, there's a huge case in 1991 about Jaffa cakes. <laughs> I've, I bet this okay. lady never knew that when she asked that question. That <laughs> Did you use to... I don't... Go. <laughs> I was going to say, how could we get from that to this? Well, we did. Um, okay, Jaffa, Jaffa uh, did not register Jaffa Cakes as a trademark. Other manufacturers and supermarkets have made similar products under the same name. The product classification as a cake or a biscuit was part of the VAT Tribunal in 1991, with the court finding that the Jaffa Cakes should be considered cakes and not biscuits for tax purposes in 2012. They were ranked the best-selling cake or biscuit in the United Kingdom. Mm. Thank you, Wikipedia. I have a call in three minutes. <laughs> Thank you all. There we go. I'll say where we got to.
<laughs> okay, great. Bye.